Take your Bibles then, if you would, those that are here in person and those watching online, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses. How many here this morning have thanked God for COVID-19 last week? All right, same as those in the 9 o'clock service. (laughs) Um, We are not accustomed to things not going our way. We are accustomed to comfort, and we are accustomed to things being the way that we want them to be. If the temperature is too hot, we can turn it down. If it's too cold, we can turn it up. We can eat what we want, generally speaking, and uh, we, we like things to be the way we like them to be. And when they're not, we can get upset. And what we want to talk about then this morning is not happiness, as I mentioned in my prayer, but the reality of joy. Joy is that settled, consistent comfort in our relationship with our Creator. It is that which is at the core of our understanding of ourselves and life. It is that peace and that joy and that grace that just settles us. It gives us that rock-solid stability that we know that we are reconciled with our Maker. And uh, this is what defines us. We find our identity in Christ. That is joy. Happiness oftentimes, if not exclusively, depends on our circumstances. It is more of an emotion than it is a a settled state of being, whereas joy ought to be a part of our experience because even when our circumstances do not make us happy, we can in those circumstances be joyful since we know that God is with us in those circumstances and moving all of those circumstances according to his purpose and plan. So follow along with me, if you would, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, We have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. We notice at least three times in this passage from Paul to rejoice. This idea from Paul that in all circumstances, based on truth, we can find joy. And I want to follow that through the passage this morning. The first place that we find that we have joy in God, Paul starts here and he's going to end here in verse 11. Joy in God, verses 1 and 2. 
He starts by saying, therefore, and there's a reason why this is where a new chapter begins. Of course, this would not have been put into chapters when Paul wrote it. It was a singular letter. But people, somebody has quipped that when you see a therefore in Scripture, you want to see what it's there for. Paul has, in the first four chapters, made his argument that we are declared righteous, legally declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he has made that claim over against primarily Jewish individuals who believed that that was partly due to either their ethnicity or their good works. And Paul's done a very good job, I would submit to you, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of showing us that our righteousness is not our own and that we do not earn a relationship with God, but God gives it to us because of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says, since we've been justified by faith, declared legally righteous by our trust in God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. He's going to give us three reasons why we can rejoice in God. He says, first of all, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't misread this. <clears throat> He's not talking about that sense of calm in a sort of um, chaotic situation. He is not primarily talking about a state of mind. What he's talking about is a state of relationship. Prior to Jesus Christ uh, bearing our sin in his own body on the cross, we were at enmity with God. We were enemies of God. Paul's going to build on this throughout the passage. We were rebels against God. We did not hold God in our thoughts. We did not care about him. We're not particularly concerned with his opinions or uh, his, his character or what he had said in his word. We were functionally God doing what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it for the reasons that benefited us. We did not fear God. We were not in relationship with God. We were enemies of God. But because of Jesus Christ's righteous life and sacrificial death, that has been changed. And it's not necessarily a state of mind, but it is a state of being. It is now declared by God himself that he and us, if we are in Christ, are now at peace. There's no longer war between us. God is no longer against us. He is now for us. We are no longer enemies. We are now friends. Jesus says that to his disciples and to all who follow after him. What a, what a thing that ought to bring us continual and consistent joy. That the relationship that matters the most, ours with the one who made us, is now settled. We now have peace with God. There's no more struggle. Who's God? God is God. That's been settled. So when things happen in our life that we don't like, we know. God is behind this. God is in this. God is at work. I will submit to him because he knows better than I. I am finite. He is infinite. I am weak. He is strong. I, we're, we are, he and I are at peace. And that brings them the other type of peace that we typically think of when we see that word. Notice number two, he welcomes us through grace. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The idea of obtaining access here in the Greek has the idea of being welcomed into the royal throne room. It brings to mind in the first place perhaps the story of Esther, where if the scepter of the king is not extended to her to come into the presence of the king without an invitation could result in death, and yet Esther is welcomed in. She's obtained access. 
Better, perhaps, for us is Jesus Christ the righteous obtaining access into the presence of God through his cross work. And remember when he's on the cross, just before he gives up the spirit, he cries out a single word in Greek, to die. it is finished. And Matthew's gospel and others record that the veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies is ripped in two from top to bottom. Full access now is granted into the throne room of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of glory. We now have access by grace, into the very presence of the almighty God who spoke all things into existence. What a thing to rejoice in, what a thing to give us joy in the midst of circumstances we do not understand, in the midst of situations we do not like, to know and understand that we are at peace with the sovereign of the universe and we have access to him freely. The writer of the book of Hebrews will say, come boldly before the throne of grace, not arrogantly, but because we are now sons, we have access now. It's no longer once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the, holy, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. We now have access to the Holy of Holies, to the mercy seat, because of Jesus Christ by the Spirit. And now the third thing, he gives us hope in him. We rejoice, no, the word rejoice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The glory of God in us in this life and the glory of God in the life to come. That God is at work in us making us more like him, and one day he will complete that job. <laughs> that the work that he has begun in us, he will complete. That we are becoming more loving, more compassionate, more kind, more good, more gentle, more temperate, uh, more joyful and peaceful and loving in these things. That God is at work in us. What things that we have to rejoice in. And really we could almost stop there, but Paul doesn't, and there's a very good reason. We might expect them now to go on and say, now based on all of this, your life is going to be amazing. And what does Paul say? Notice verse 3. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. In the second place this morning, then we see joy in suffering. And that seems like a bit of a curveball that Paul's throwing at us. Hang on a second. So we are sons and daughters of the God of the universe. We have full and free access to him. We are at peace with him. And we have hope that he is at work in our lives for his glory. And he will complete that work at the end of time. What is this suffering thing? We're not used to that, especially in our culture. This isn't where we like to be. We like comfort. We like control. We don't like suffering. And yet suffering is what God has called us to in particular, suffering because of him. Jesus said that if you follow me, the world hated me. So they're also going to hate you. Paul will say in another place, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will, mark it down, take it to the bank, suffer persecution. So what does Paul say? What is his point in this? He says we rejoice in God so that enables us to rejoice in our sufferings. Because notice these five things that come. Suffering, first of all, brings endurance. He says that. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Each time we suffer, by God's grace, suffer well for his glory, we endure. We suffer a little bit better this time, so that next time we'll suffer even a little bit better. And certainly better than the first time that we suffered after coming to faith in Christ. It produces in us that endurance. That good work that God is doing in us, that we would endure in him, that we would trust him, that we would rest in him, that we would rejoice in him, that we would sing in prison like with Paul and Silas, that we would find joy in the sovereign, gracious goodness of God, 
that when we do that, even and especially when we're suffering because of trusting in him, that it produces endurance. What does it bring next? Endurance then strengthens our character. He says an endurance produces character. In the Greek, this is tested character. It's all well and good to say that we love God when things are going well. This, of course, is Satan's line to God about Job. Of course Job loves you. You've given him everything he could possibly imagine and so much more. He's rich. Take it all away, he will curse you. Right? What does Job do when God allows it all to be taken away? He still praises God. He still rejoices in his suffering. This is something that doesn't make sense. But it does make sense in God. So our tested character, that as suffering takes place, and the, the work of God in our lives tests our character and brings us through that, rejoicing in him, it, it, it furthers that character in us and gives us hope, which is where he goes next. Tested character gives us hope in him, and character produces hope. Do you ever doubt if God's at work in your life? Do you ever have times, seasons, moments, right, even right now this morning, say, I don't, I don't know if God's actually doing anything in my life. Mark how you go through suffering. Conflict, broken relationships, uh, financial difficulties, whatever that might be. And when your character shows more of God and less of you in those moments, you know God is at work. That ought to bring hope to us. Oh yeah, God is doing something in me. I wasn't as mad this time as I was last time. And maybe the next time I won't be as mad as I was this time. God is doing something in me. There's hope. There's hope for me. God is at work. Notice in the fourth place, our hope will not ever fail because it's in him. We looked at that last Sunday. Hope does not put us to shame. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God and salvation to all who believe. Hope in wishful thinking, hope like I, I hope so, is not what he's talking about here. This hope is a settled confidence in the character of God. We might not see what we want to see now, but we know that we will because God is for us and God is moving us towards righteousness. He's moving us towards himself. And so hoping in him will never fail, will never put us to shame. But notice he says, God's love then gives us more hope. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What is our first response in suffering? Almost invariably, it's to think about us. This hurts. I don't like this. I want this to change. We go insular. This happened when COVID first started. What did everything, what did everything do? Everything shut down. We all went in. What does the love of God compel us to do, especially in suffering? To go out. What does Jesus do even on the cross? What does he say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And one of the last things Jesus does on the cross, arguably the worst moment of his earthly life, he is in agony that we cannot even possibly fathom. And he sees his mother and he says to John, his beloved disciple, take care of my mom. Jesus is being crucified. And what is he doing? He's love. He is love. Even in his worst moments, he's love. Is that us? When you squeeze us, what comes out? Does love come out? And in any measure that it does, that means God's in there. That's evidence that God is at work in us. And so God's love in us gives us more hope. Hey, in this circumstance and situation, I was thinking of others and not myself. 
that's not me. I know that's not me. That must be God. So in this suffering, he's producing endurance, which produces character, tested character, which produces hope. God is at work. Notice in the third place then, we have joy in Christ. This great joy in Christ. One of the most famous verses or well-known verses perhaps in this chapter is verse 8. But notice first verse 7. He says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Very rare for us to sacrifice. Certainly ultimately sacrifice. To exchange our lives for someone else would not happen. Though perhaps, he says, for a good person, and here in Greek, it's a benefactor. Maybe perhaps someone that has done good for us. We owe them. We might dare even to die. It might happen. Paul's open to that as a possibility. However, what does he say? Verse 6, when we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us, and that way we're still sinners. Christ died for us. This is different. This is not the extremely rare occasion where somebody might maybe die on behalf of somebody else. This is an occasion where Jesus Christ, the righteous, died on behalf of the weak, died on behalf of sinners. We do not only sacrifice for anyone, but Jesus died for us, his enemies. What joy we have in that, or should have in that, that even our hatred of him does not stop his love for us. That ought to bring us joy, which is where Paul goes next. Paul's going to argue from the greater to the lesser in the sense that if God does this big thing for us, surely he will do this smaller thing. And he does it in verses 9 and 10. And notice we have joy then in future hope. We have joy right now, but we have joy also in the future if we are in him. He comes back to this. Since therefore, he says, we've now been justified by his blood, what he just spent the last four chapters talking about, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, if while we were still enemies, we were justified by Christ's blood, what fear do we now have of the future or even present wrath of God? Justification guarantees reconciliation. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Paul's going to say in just three chapters, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That ought to get the joy going this morning, shouldn't it? We will not stand condemned before God because of Jesus Christ the righteous. If when we were sinners, God loved us, how much more will we love us now that we are his children, now that we're saints? If when we were enemies, God loved us and died for us, how much more will he be for us now that we are his sons and daughters? If we have been justified by Christ's blood, how much more is it a reality it will be saved from the wrath of God? As I've said many times, I think that we will struggle in our Christian life to believe that we're actually forgiven, free, and loved in Jesus Christ. And we have to keep pushing for that truth to bury deeper and deeper inside of us because it's true. And the truth of that will give us joy, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how dark it may get, we can have joy because there is no longer wrath from God that is coming our way. It's all love. Notice in the second place then, our reconciliation guarantees resurrection. Notice what he says. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. If God can do that greater thing, if he can reconcile us, if he can repair the broken relationship, if he can turn sinners into saints, then he says, uh, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What is our great hope? That death is not the final word. We are going to celebrate, we celebrate every Sunday, every Sunday is Resurrection Day. But in particular, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's like a double Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating, best we know, the time when Jesus Christ rose back to life from the dead. Guaranteeing for us that the sin, the penalty for sin had been paid. The sacrifice had been accepted by the Father. And we now stand as righteous as Christ before the Father by the Spirit because of that. So we have that same hope. If when we were enemies, God repaired the relationship. If reconciliation is a reality, how much more then is resurrection a reality? What would be saved by the life of Christ? We have the same life in us that Christ has in himself. We have the Holy Spirit in us who gives us life and life more abundant in this life and hope for the life to come. I hope all of this is sort of ramping up your joy meter this morning and not just this morning, but always. Notice then Paul ends where he began, once again, joy in God. What does he say for the third time? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our joy, our settled comfort in all circumstances and situations is that we are known and loved by God. We are fully known and fully loved by the one who called us into existence. That in Jesus Christ the righteous, we are righteous. That our sin, fully paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, and his righteousness, fully accredited to our account, as Tim preached a couple Sundays ago. That the great exchange, as theologians call it, has taken place. It's true, and that's who we are. We are not the sum total of who we think we are. We are not simply the sum total of what people say about us. We are, if we're in Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High. That is who we are. And that ought to bring us joy. So Grace Baptist Church, those that are here and watching online, what is our response to this? I can only think of one word, the word that Paul uses three times in this passage, rejoice. (laughs) It's settled. It's firm. This circumstance you're currently in is not evidence that God is against you. God is for you. This circumstance and situation is not evidence that God has abandoned you. He is always with you. This whole present circumstance situation is not God on vacation or indifferent or or pitching a fit. This is not who our God is. Our God is up to something. Everything has meaning, significance, and purpose because all of it comes from the good and gracious sovereign hand of a God who loved us and gave his life for us while we were still enemies of his. We have much to rejoice in. Let us do that today and always. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you. This is all because of you. We can do nothing to make ourselves righteous. It is all from your good and gracious hand. Father, if there is anyone here this morning that does not have this settled, for whom this is not a source of comfort, 
but a source of agitation and, and, and anxiety and fear and worry. Although we know that elsewhere in your word it says that perfect love casts out fear, and in particular, fear of judgment. May they know this morning your love for them. And may that be for them, as Jesus says, living water and ever-replenishing uh, source of joy. Father, we fail, and we failed this week, and we will fail this week coming up. We do not always find joy in our circumstances. We do not always find joy in you in our situations and circumstances. Father, we confess that to you. We ask for your forgiveness. Cause us to, to remind ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, who we are. We have peace with you. You are not against us, you are for us. We have full access to you any time of the day. 2 a.m., 2 p.m. You are there. You will hear us. Father, that is a grace, and we stand in that grace, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in his righteousness. What a great grace that is. And that gives us great hope in your glory. You are glorifying yourself in us now, and you will glorify yourself in us in the future. And Father, we can see it. We can see evidence in our lives as we rejoice in our suffering, even just if it's a little bit more than we did last time. We see evidence of you at work in us, that instead of going inward, we are compelled to go outward, that we are compelled to sacrifice, that we are driven away from comfort and control and to sacrifice and submission. Father, this is our calling this is what you have equipped us for. This is what you enable us to do through your Holy Spirit. May it be true in our lives. May we rejoice in you, regardless of the circumstances. May we have that settled comfort that you are with us. We are yours. We know you, and you not only know us, but, Father, you love us. You fully know us and fully love us. We are known by you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.